You are Locked On Nittany Lions, your daily Penn State Nittany Lions podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 51 to 6. Much to the delight of Penn State fans, the Nittany Lions annihilated the Pitt Panthers on Saturday night at Heinz Field. We're going to break that down on today's show. We're going to have our Monday Rewind, looking at what we saw, what we heard, what we learned. We're also going to be joined by John McGonigal of the Center Daily Times. He's going to break down the scene at Heinz Field and also play a game of either or. All that and more on today's Locked On Nittany Lions. Hello and welcome to Locked On Nittany Lions. I'm your host, Stephen Pianovich. It is Monday, September 10th, and Penn State is convincingly 2-0. For all the worry and anxiety that last week against App State produced, there was mostly just joy and some laughs at Pitt on Saturday night. As the final few seconds ticked off the clock, Penn State, a 51-6 winner over Pitt. Largest win Penn State has had against Pitt since 1968. First win Penn State had in Pittsburgh uh, since 1998. It was a good night and a really good second half for the Nittany Lions in that rain-soaked route. So on today's show, right off the bat here, I'm going to break down Saturday's game in our Monday Rewind section We're going to have this each week looking back at Penn State's game, and we're going to break it down into three segments. We're going to say what we saw, what we heard, and what we learned. So for the Pitt game, what we saw, we saw a team that was, we saw the better team play like it, and it made an ugly, soggy game into a blowout. Penn State, of course, looked rough in the first half on both sides of the ball, Honestly, it was the offense was not going despite a quick score on the first drive. Penn State's offense couldn't get going, and Penn State's defense was giving up a lot of big yardage on the ground. Ended up giving two up 214 rushing yards in the first half, which is not great. But it only resulted in six points, and Penn State made the most of of a lot of pit mistakes. So, in a game like this where it's soggy and rainy. Sometimes the underdog can get an upset if it capitalizes on mistakes the other team makes. But Penn State didn't make any of those mistakes. Pitt did. There was a dropped hold on an extra point, a a botched snap on a fumble. There was an interception. There were multiple sacks given up. They gave up a punt return. And when the team that is not as talented and is not favored does that, instead of an upset, you get a 45-point win for the better team. Looking at the box score, Trace McSorley didn't didn't light it up. He was 14 for 30, 145 yards, two touchdowns. Could have had better numbers, except there were a handful of drops from his wide receivers. Obviously, K.J. Hamler and Miles Sanders continue to look spectacular. Sanders broke 100 yards for the first time as a Penn State running back. Hamler scored two touchdowns, including a rushing touchdown on Penn State's first drive and then another score before halftime that was huge in giving Penn State a little breathing room to start the second half. And right, Penn State just looked like the better team. It was, they made it very evident where they are as a program 
and where Pitt is as a program by uh, by the time that the zeros are on the clock in the fourth quarter. So what do we hear after this game? This is where I'm going to pick one of my favorite press conference clips after a game. Uh, this week's comes from Pat Narduzzi. You know, the first thing I want to do is, you know, apologize to the Pitt, you know, nation out there. That was not Pitt football right there. Mm, ain't it though, Pat? Looked like Pitt football to me. So what we learned, uh, this is where I'm going to take a big picture look at things after a game. Today I'm going to do so uh, in a two-fold way, looking at Penn State's season and then also looking at the Penn State-Pitt series. So real quick for Penn State's season, I think this shows that this team is already getting better from some of those things that, that hurt it against Appalachian State. And here's the thing. Penn State looks a lot better, and especially if you look around at the country at some other big-name programs, Florida State, Florida, Michigan State, who are losing games and have have a lot of things that, that are not going well. Penn State's concerns don't seem quite as bad as that. They still have some work to do to get to where they need to be if they're going to challenge Ohio State and Michigan and Wisconsin. But they have two more weeks to look, to work on those things. So James Franklin's only going to say Kent State, Kent State, Kent State, and Illinois, Illinois, Illinois. But most people know that all this team has to do in the next two weeks, the, the focus is on becoming, they're going to be 4-0, and they need to be the best version of that 4-0 team for when Ohio State visits Happy Valley on September 29th. So now looking big picture at the pit rivalry, the talk of this game is going to die down again, obviously now in the next couple days, and it might not start up again for for, uh, for about 51 weeks. I guess it could if uh, one of the ADs does talk about it or if there is a game scheduled, but we're not going to talk about it in depth as much until next season. It will be the 100th meeting between Pitt and Penn State next year in Happy Valley, and we don't know when the 101st meeting is going to be. And I think that's too bad. Uh, look, Penn State is clearly at a better place as a program than Pitt in, in every single area. Talent, recruiting, respect uh, across the nation. And even if you think that Penn State is not Pitt's rival or Pitt can't be Penn State's rival because the gap between their programs right now is that large, still, don't you want to see them play every once in a while? Isn't it kind of fun to see them play once every once in a while? It might not it doesn't have to be every year. They don't need to be they don't need to be a mainstay on that non-conference schedule. But if you play them twice in every 15 years or four times every 15 years or whatever it is, isn't that better than not playing them at all? And Penn State will probably win four out of five times that it plays Pitt, the way things are going now. And sure, Pitt fans might only talk about the one time that they win instead of the five times that they lose. But it's silly to treat this like it's any other game, even if that riles up Pitt fans. It's not. Look, James Franklin, you know, he said that this is, we treat every game the same. And, and obviously that's not certainly true, but that's just his line to not look ahead or anything. But they tweet out a hype video that Penn, someone at Penn State staff makes and it, before every game. And James Franklin, it comes from James Franklin's Twitter account. On Saturday, this thing goes out. It has, uh, it has clips from Penn State's 2016 loss to Pitt. 
including one of a picture of an assistant coach who got a 42-39 keychain made after Pitt beat Penn State two years ago. So those things stick with them. Obviously, it's bulletin board material, and it's and it it can it can annoy you. It can be you, you can be angry about it, and it clearly means more to Pitt than it does to Penn State. I don't think any Penn State assistant's going to be opening opening his door with a fifty-one to six keychain attached to it today. But the series still matters. It it was very fun. I was in Pittsburgh on Saturday, and it was a fun energy to be around the stadium on Saturday afternoon and there is a lot of petty and stupid banter and message board talk and all that stuff but it's it's fun for these two teams that are so close and have so much history to play each other and it will be great if Penn State can play Virginia Tech and Auburn and maybe Texas and teams like that those will be fun and unique experiences when they play those games at home and on the road but Penn State Pitt is its own unique experience whether you love it or not, and that experience shouldn't be lost completely. All right, we're going to step away for a quick break, but when we come back, John McGonigal of the Center Daily Times is going to join us and break down the scene from Heinz Field. Stay with us on Locked On Nittany Lions. Ever since I started this podcast, people have been asking me for advice. Usually, it's what team to bet on this week. The truth is, I don't know who's going to win, but if you think you know, you've got to check out my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me guys, they are your best bet this season. They've been in business for years, have great reviews online, and my bookie's mobile site is easy to use. Lay down some cash and win big today with my bookie. Join now and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar on deposits up to $1,000. Use promo code on college, that's O-N-C-O-L-L-E-G-E, to activate the offer. My bookie. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, welcome back to Locked On and Nittany Lions. I am happy to be joined by John McGonigal who is dry and inside an in-state college following Saturday's rainy night in Pittsburgh. John, thanks for coming back to the podcast. And just uh, what's your general takeaway from from this week after watching Penn State route Pitt in the rain? Well, first of all, Piano, thanks for having me again. And uh, it is nice to be inside and dry and in-state college. You know, I didn't, I didn't leave the Heinz Field press box until 3.30, in the morning and uh so that was that was a lot of fun uh, i was still raining hiking to the car and, and figuring out how to how to navigate old pittsburgh uh so that was that was a good time but no saturday night it was, it was such a weird game like i thought last week was weird you know beating app state by by seven i mean that it felt like at halftime penn state should have been down by two touchdowns and they went in up and they ended up winning by 45 it was just such an odd game and i guess what you learned is that Penn State might be a team of, of two halves all year. Uh, Penn State fans and James Franklin hope that's not the case. But you look at a, a defense that really looked poor in giving up 214 rushing yards in the first half and then come out of the second half and, you know, only allow – they it was negative – it had negative 15 rushing yards, 13 passing yards, 
zero first downs in the third quarter. So this might just be one of those teams where it's like you don't know what you're going to get, and even though Franklin's going to try and you know get that get that consistency. Yeah, yeah. And just what was I guess you were down on the field again. What was the 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 contrast in how last week was compared to this week? I, I assume it's probably versus a sigh of relief versus we're going to really savor this because we just beat the crap out of our in-state rival on their home field. So what, what, what was that juxtaposition like? Yeah. Well, you know what uh, Saturday night felt like was the 2016 Rutgers game at Rutgers. Penn State won that game 39 to nothing. How the, you know, how Penn State got to those results were different, obviously, but Mm -hmm. you know, in that Rutgers game at the end, it was just crappy weather. Penn, you know, Penn State fans kind of took over. Rutgers fans filed out, you know, Saturday night Pitt fans left. There was one row of students left in the student section (laughs) and they were just being sarcastic the whole time. They're like, Oh, like here starts the comeback when, (laughs) you know, Sean Clifford throws a 34 yard bomb to Brandon Polk late in the fourth quarter. But I mean, the the mood couldn't have been different, more different than, than last weekend against app state, you know, trace was able to, to get some time to hang out. He put on his raincoat and just, uh, you know, was chatting up with Miles Sanders and his teammates. You have KJ Hamler like making faces and making signs to the Penn State fans, just just messing around. And it was it was a fun atmosphere. It was an you know not something that I think anyone really expected going into that game. Yeah, yeah. One thing I did want to ask you about is uh, how James Franklin obviously kept his starters in maybe longer than some fans thought he might or should, um, and then he also. They challenged a fumble with a minute left. They were passing the ball a lot. Yeah, I was yeah. put Clifford in, took that shot. What did he kind of say after the game to to address those things and kind of not taking his foot off the pedal at the end there? Well, he was asked specifically about keeping in Trace and some of the other starters late, and his reasoning was, uh, you know, a week after App State went ahead and put up 28 points in the fourth quarter, he kind of wanted to make sure that the door was shut. But – I mean, personally, I, you know, you, you know, you're playing a, an in-state school that has talked this rivalry thing up all week, and you're in a system now where you're, even in week two, you're, you know, you're looking ahead to what the college football playoff committee might be looking at down the line mm-hmm. in November, and, you know, if they were to take the foot off the gas, if you know, if Sean Clifford doesn't score that touchdown, if, if Mark Allen doesn't score his, last, you know, it, it fifty-one to six just on paper looks incredibly better than 35 or whatever, whatever it may have been. So there's, you know, there's, there's a fine line that you have to strike between keeping your starters in and wanting to make the score look as good as it possibly can for that committee, you know, down the line trace probably could have been pulled earlier. I think, you know, but that's, that's all to, that's all to Franklin. He would never, he would never admit to, you know, Hey, we wanted to run up the score for the committee, Mm -hmm. but, you know, it it um, it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case. Mm-hmm. It looked like it was the case. Yeah. Well. Well. One thing I'm sure fans are happy about is the way Penn State defended, and especially cracked down on defending the run in the second half. Final, interview. Yeah. yeah. Interview. How? How were? What was the key to that? And I guess just what do you think of the defensive line? I think they have. I think it was four sacks, and Givens comes back, and they looked. It was a world difference from where they looked last week. Yeah. Well, what Sharif Miller said was. Uh, the biggest thing was just kind of gap integrity, you know, keeping, keeping, you know, staying gap sound on, on the front four. 
uh, which they didn't do at all in, in the first half. But he played it off like so easy. Like, yeah, like we knew that was the problem. Well, I'm thinking like, why didn't, why didn't you guys adjust it before, the, before <laughs> halftime? Man? I mean, like they were running down, you know, Quadre Allison, you know, he, he's a big bowling ball running yeah. back and he was getting through untouched. Um, but yeah, in that second half, they looked better. Kevin Givens return, you know, was significant. You know, the guy tied Micah Parsons for the team lead, seven tackles. He had two tackles for loss. The second one, I mean, he just he just speed rushed a, a guard and got by him within half a second and just dropped Allison in the backfield. That kid's good. I mean, Givens is – you saw the Kevin Givens difference on that defensive line in the second half against Pitt. And, uh, you, you know, you, you saw what Penn State missed last weekend against App State. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we're with John McGonigal from the Center Daily Times. We have to step away for another quick break, but when we come back, we'll answer some either-or questions after Penn State's win over Pitt. Stay with us on Locked On Nittany Lions. Welcome back to Locked On Nittany Lions. We're joined by John McGonigal of the Center Daily Times. You can find him on Twitter at jmcgonigal9. John, I have some either-or questions. I'm going to give you a a question with two choices, and I want you to pick one of them. All right. That sound easy enough? All right. So uh, I think it's safe to say the two biggest uh, the two biggest pieces on Penn State's offense that have have opened some eyes in these first two weeks have been Miles Sanders and KJ Hamler. Both have mm-hmm. been terrific pieces alongside Trace McSorley on that offense. My question is, who's impressed you more in the first two weeks? Has it been Hamler or has it been Sanders? I think it's got to be KJ Hamler. I mean, Miles, you you kind you knew what he was going to bring to a degree. I mean, in, in his in his flashes over the past couple of years. You saw a one-cut, subtle running back who knew knew when to lower his shoulder and, and kind of get through the hole quickly, and that's what he's done. I mean, you know, rushing for a career-high 118 yards against Pitt in his hometown, that was a great performance. But K.J. Mm-hmm. Hamler, you know, you, you heard the buzz around him throughout spring, throughout summer. He was the breakout candidate, and sometimes those guys just fall on their face. You know, as a redshirt freshman, a guy who – you know, missed his senior year of high school because of an injury and redshirted last year, hadn't played football in two years, to come out and play the way that he has, to look like, honestly, I mean, to look like Derek Williams of old. I mean, like, that yeah. that, that guy, you know, he's was, he was the first Penn State wideout to have a running touchdown and a receiving touchdown in a game since Williams, you know, back in 2008. And, and you look at what he did against Pitt, seven touches, you know, all-purpose touches, 145 yards, two touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean – it, it's insane. And, you know, last week with the 52 yard return with, with, you know, the, the game tying touchdown in the fourth quarter, the, the kid is having fun and talking to Trace McSorley after the game, you know, he was asking, you know, what did you expect this out of KJ? He's like, mm-hmm. well, you know, last week kind of surprised him, but now he's, you know, he's like, look, KJ's just having fun. You know, he, mm-hmm. he's just doing his thing. And that's crazy that, a kid like that, you know, two games into his college career, he's got three more years ahead of him. This full year, three more years after that, if he stays. I mean, the, the sky's the limit for this kid. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he's kind of masking some problems that Penn State's had. The rest of his wide receiver core maybe not playing up to what some people would have hoped or thought, but he's he's a band aid that covers that for now, and he's very exciting. Absolutely. Right. Next one, uh, also KJ Hamler related. He had a, another nice kick return. Didn't go for a touchdown, but. 
He took one out yesterday and he kind of jumped through two tacklers. It's probably like the closest thing we've seen to a Saquon Barkley. Yeah, probably the closest thing we've seen to a Saquon Barkley leap this year. Um, But then after the game, James Franklin, um, you tweeted out a video of this. He he kind of jumped into the crowd. It wasn't quite like a Lambo leap. He didn't get up there, but he just kind of like threw his shoulder into the padding and gave some fans some high fives. I want to know, uh, what was the better jump? Was it Hamler through some traffic or was it Franklin into the stands? Oh, it was definitely Franklin. Uh, And the thing is, you could tell him think about it too. Like he, (laughs) and look, James was the wide receivers coach uh, for the Green Bay Packers for a year back in, Mm -hmm. back in the day. And so he, you know, I I guess, I guess he picked up a thing or two from, from Donald Driver and and those (laughs) boys. But, you know, he, he saw this, he saw the section there. He's like, ah, do I want to? He was going to keep running, and then he just he tried. But I mean, it was pretty high up there, so uh, you know, give him credit, give him credit for uh, a for effort. But uh, no, that was funny, and and I mean to see him. And then later, I saw a video of him like going through the tunnel, like jumping to high five fans. Like he was amped. <laughs> I mean, you know, you win fifty one to six, and uh, and really the only people left in the stadium are your fans. You're going to be pretty jacked. But uh, yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty funny. Yeah, he, he seemed very happy to, to do that. It looks like he took a, a lot of time to savor that win, which didn't mean more than any other win, but, you know. Right, yeah, definitely not more than, you know, uh, than Even Akron Kent last State. year or yeah. you know, potentially Kent State this upcoming <laughs> week. Definitely not. Right. All right, all right. Uh, <laughs> next one here. We didn't see either John Reed, the cornerback on defense last night or on Saturday night, and we also didn't see Tommy Stevens for the second straight week. Mm-hmm. Whose uh, absence... Uh, concerns you more uh, is it John Reed or is it Tommy Stevens uh, easily 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 John Reed for me uh, you know if Trace my thing is Tommy dressed and he was there so did so did John Reed I feel like it's and, and this is me just going on gut um, it, it feels like one of those situations where if Tommy like Tommy wouldn't travel and dress if he wasn't clear to play if needed you know so it, it's one of those things where I, you look at John Reed's absence and, and he, you know, he didn't play in the fourth quarter uh, right. against App State. He didn't play in overtime. And when asked about him um, at his weekly press conference, James said, yeah, I mean, he looked like a guy who hadn't played football in a year coming off that knee injury. So that's concerning. The, the fact that he doesn't play, you know, what, is it is it him just being benched and not playing because of a poor performance? Mm-hmm. You know, pick up another knock in practice and just you want to hold him out. Like you know, I'm he James is going to be asked about that at his upcoming press conference on, on Tuesday. He wasn't asked about it after the pick game. That that's more concerning to me. Um, yeah, than, than a backup quarterback. And Sean Clifford stepped in and threw one good pass. So who knows? Maybe he could step in and play for Trace if, if need be. Yeah. Yeah, that's that, that. That segues well into the next one here. Who's whose first career touchdown uh, impressed you more? Was it Sean Clifford or was it Mac Hippenhammer getting that touchdown? Uh, fourth? I'm not gonna lie. So the Hippenhammer touchdown, I was in the process of going down to the field. Okay, that happened. So I, you know, I, I'm gonna rewatch the game here tonight uh, or tomorrow, more you know, Monday morning. Uh, I haven't, you know, I, I kind of saw it, but I was I was on the field for the for the Clifford touchdown, and that thing that was impressive. Uh, that that throw, just dropping it in for Brandon Polk, um, and and he goes nuts celebrating. And Narduzzi didn't like it after the game at all. He was like, <laughs> oh, like they're gonna have to, you know, 
they're going to have to sleep on that. That's on them. And you know, I'm pretty sure Sean Clifford slept pretty well on Saturday night, knowing that he dropped the dime on his first career pass. Yeah, it's, it's hard hard to follow up. And I think that gives yeah. Penn State's fans some pe- not peace of mind, but if Stevens is hurt and if they needed another quarterback, if something were to happen to Trace McSorley with Tommy Stevens still hurt, at least he can come in. Obviously, not a high pressure situation that moment, but he looked. That's about as good as you can look. Yeah, exactly. And and, and that's a guy who has garnered praise uh, ever since he got to Penn State. He was the leader of his recruiting class, and um, and it was really no question, even as a true freshman, that he came in and grabbed that third string job. And um, yeah, impressive kid. Mm-hmm. All right, John. Last one here. So Penn State and Pitt will meet for the hundredth time next season at Beaver sure. Stadium. We're not sure when the 101st meeting will be, but will who will be Pitt's coach in that 100th meeting? Is it Pat Narduzzi or is it someone else? So, oh, you mean when when Penn State plays oh, next, next year, 2019? Yeah, next year. Uh, I think Narduzzi is still the coach. Okay, uh, that might be his last year. Uh, but you know, because look, this year they may not get. It's going to be tough to get the six wins for them this year. But you look at their mm-hmm. schedule; it's it's really hard. Um, not that that should be a real excuse. I mean, when you're pit, you should be bowl eligible every year, but I, I think he has another year. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, they'll let him finish out the rivalry, um, the, the series. And if, if, if they're not bowl eligible next year, I, I think he's gone, but I, th- I think he's got another year in uh, yeah. Pittsburgh. Yeah. I, they still have Notre Dame and UCF on their non-conference schedule. And then, then that ACC slate as well. But back-to-back, I mean, he could go back-to-back years without going to a bowl game, but I think they'll give him some that more would, time. That would be hard uh, for, for him to to sell uh, athletic director Heather Lake and that and that administration to say, hey, we're going in the right direction when, you know, everything's, you know, they upset Miami last year. They upset Clemson and Penn State in 2016. But, you know, I, I think Pitt fans would rather – uh, would rather be bowl eligible and go into the postseason than having losing seasons and get a decent win here and there. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. And yeah, the hundred first meeting could be I don't know, coached by robots. I'm not really sure because it could be in two thousand. Like kid might be coaching Pitt by then. Who knows? Yes, yeah. <laughs> the Narduz Junior. All right, exactly. It's a scary <laughs> thought. All right, John McGonigal from the Center Daily Times. Thanks as always for your time. We'll talk to you again soon. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. So that will do it for this episode of Locked On Nittany Lions. Thank you so much for listening. You can find Locked On Nittany Lions on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember to subscribe to the show, download us, leave us ratings and reviews. It really helps the show to keep growing as we enter our third full week here. Speaking of that third full week, later this week we're going to have our weekly top five, our weekly trivia segments and uh, plenty more interviews to get you ready for Penn State's Week 3 matchup against Kent State. I'll talk to you on Tuesday.